Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Imperfect Leaders. If you like today's show, please consider sharing us with your friends. Until then, sit back and enjoy today's episode. John Tyson is a legend in the food industry. He's chairman of the board his granddaddy founded in 1935 in Springdale, Arkansas, Tyson Foods. John has been thinking about CEO succession planning for most of his life, decades before the popular TV show Succession appeared on HBO. John Tyson has two children himself, both of whom are potential CEO succession candidates. So if you think the TV show is interesting, listen to John Tyson talk about leadership, culture, the drama, and possible options for his children as they grow older and wiser. We reward people for being perfect. Who, you make an we? A plus, you get to go to Harvard. Who's we? Society? I think society rewards perfection. And we need to re reward people who just show up and try to get it done, knowing some days it's just not going to work as well. So if your mindset is you got to be perfect, it's hard to get started because you're worried about failure because society comes back and says, well, you quite didn't get it right. Instead of saying, wow, that was a really great effort. Man, we learned a lot. Let's keep going. Well, what does Tyson do? So does Tyson want perfection because that really drives profitability or does Tyson actually look for effort? You can't have perfection in food. <laughs> I mean, anytime, anytime you put a chicken breast in a skillet, you know, you get consistency, but you can't get perfection. So how do you get to consistency of behavior? How do you get to consistency of, of, of values, consistencies of culture, consistency of habits, which gives you a chance to perform at the highest level, but you can't get to perfection. If you're climbing a mountain behind you, every every step is a resilient step but each step is a real-time step what what other kinds of um, soft skills or leadership competencies do you think is going to be important for this next generation of leaders um learning how to have the skill set to state your opinion and not worry about somebody disagreeing with you do people worry about that now i think by nature we all want to kind of we kind of come want to come to the soft consensus in the middle. Mm -hmm. So you're in a boardroom and you have <clears throat> your whole executive team there and you have a few younger rising stars. Are they, are they sometimes afraid to speak up and voice their opinion? Um, if, if they won't, they're not in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's just a given. If you don't, if you're not comfortable with your thought processes, mm -hmm. you know, I, I assume we vetted people who know how to think well, Mm -hmm. know how to organize their thoughts and know how to say, okay, now it's time to make a decision. Mm -hmm. And they understand in the boardroom, it's not about hurting people's feelings. Mm -hmm. It's about trying to get to the right answer. Mm -hmm. So out of dialogue, you get to the right answer and they, they, they don't become hard and cold. It's okay. Yeah. That kind of hurt because they disagreed with me, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that thought is wrong. Mm -hmm they've countered my thought or they've added to my thought, they've built on my thought, which maybe I got to turn a little bit left and I was going a little bit right, but we're still in the middle of the road. We're just on the left side, not the right side. So little things like that become part of resilience. 
You just go, okay. And then at the end of the day, you say, okay, well, the day's over. You don't go home holding a grudge. You don't go home trying to figure out how to make your point. You just say, well, these are all the points on the table today. So out of that, what evolves to the best right strong decision, not the best right easy decision. Sometimes you'll see too much. Well, let's just move to the easiest decision and nothing really happens. But you buy time, you get time, but you're kind of muddling along. How did you develop your resilience? I think my resilience just comes from early life. Um, you know, I'm 66 now. So I think culturally we have to go back to, you know, how I was raised, where I was raised, the time I was raised. Um, that's just, you just kind of showed up and did it, you know, just kind of went to work. What was know, it played like, sports, you know, what was it like being the grandson of the founder of Tyson foods. Um, I didn't know my granddad very well because he passed away when I was 13. Uh, and so, you know, the dialogue that you might've had as I got older with him never got developed. So it was, that's granddad. I see him. We, we, you know, we did a few things together, but we never got to that next evolution of a relationship, maybe between a grandson and a grandfather mm. uh, because he passed away early. Was it tough being the son of the CEO of Tyson Foods as you were getting older in life? State that question again. Was it tough or was it strange or was it great to be the son? Oh, you know, the it, there's a lot of pluses and minuses in it. Um, so I, I, I think I learned from that for my kids. Um, but I think part of the challenge in, in my dad's management and his team, they were kind of a command and control type style management because you're running operations. Okay, here, go do this, get it done, bring it back to So command and control out of that generation was probably a lot of the style. Um, the triangulation that, um, you know, my dad and I would talk about something. And trying to figure out well, how would I feed that into the organization or not feed it into the organization. Then on the other side was, well, don't tell Johnny anything. He might go tell his dad. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I understand that statement, but sometimes it becomes an easy reason not to engage me. Mm -hmm. Don't talk to him. He'll go tell his dad. So how'd you get over? How'd you get around that? How'd you build that trust? Well, there's no trust because that's their thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so in effect, there's triangulation management, which is not healthy. So, um, and it happens in a lot of family businesses. It's just not unique to our family. Mm -hmm. And it's probably not unique to people who are in a business where, uh, you know, there are no family members. Triangulations, board triangulations, committee triangulations, subsets of management teams, subsets of boards. Triangulation is, is really culturally inherent the concept of radical honesty or radical disclosure makes people uncomfortable does it because make, they have a tendency to take it personally does it make you uncomfortable and do you like that sort of thing at tyson it doesn't bother me what bothers people is if it's coming this way it's going back that way now are you ready because I can deliver, I can deliver in a pretty strong and a really blunt way. And sometimes my tone is not right because my tone comes out with a strong, mm -hmm. okay, 
you've, you've stated your position. Here's my position. Okay, just defend your position because all I'm doing is defending my position. So being a CEO and taking those skill sets home to a relationship is where a lot of relationships fail. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and how, but, and you know, how do you shift, how do I shift out of being a CEO when I talk to my kids as my children or how do I shift out of talking to uh, my partner when I'm talking to her and I'm not talking as a CEO or my mindset's not operating like a CEO. So, but so once I'm aware of those kind of skill sets, mm -hmm. I think it allows me to bring a little bit of it back into the boardroom because it makes me pause. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Are the, okay. You're the CEO going this way, stop in the boardroom. Well, now maybe if you frame it like they're your equal partner, maybe you'll hear and see something else different. Have you, have you met Ray Dalio or Eileen Murray, the CEO of Bridgewater? No, just read about him. Yeah. And, and his concept of radical honesty, he may go a little far. <laughs> he does. No, I spend a lot of time with those guys and they take it to an, an extreme. Like every single meeting you basically are uh, ranking the other person for their radical candor and radical honesty. Every meeting, you know, what did they, how did they do this point? Did you believe them? What could they do better? which is I've never seen any company do it like that. My concern about that to a point is when somebody in the room starts to have paranoia in their mind. Mm -hmm. And if you get paranoia, how do you get past radical honesty without thinking they've got an agenda? That's why they said that. And you don't hear the point. Your mind hears an agenda. Yeah. How do you deal now with your son? Who's now he's on the executive team now. He's, he came into the company about a year, year and a half ago. So do you mentor him or how, what's the relationship like there from a business point of view? So let's go back to both of my children and let's go back to the conversation. When I, I, I proactively a long time ago started having dialogue with my children, the board and the management team. And my responsibility is to all of those parties. So with my children, the company and the board and my kids, both of them started going to board meetings back when they were 13 and 14. They could show up if they wanted to. It wasn't mandated. Hey, if you're in town or whatever, you want to go over to the board meeting with dad or do you want to go to dinner? You know, just letting them be around the board members and some of the management more like social and getting comfortable with people mm -hmm. uh, and, and older people because your decisions will influence older people and young people trying to tell a 50 year old what to do is kind of intimidating. Um, so we started out just talking about what, what your options are in life, options for the company and options for the board. So the way we talked about it, they're kind of, I put them in four buckets, Jeff. Um, if you want to run the company, you come to work, you start and 30 years from now, uh, see if you win the CEO race. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're a 140,000, you know, $50 billion company. And that's just how it works. Mm -hmm. The Tyson name would give you the tiebreaker, you know, at the top of the funnel, so to say, but to be CEO of this company means you, you, you got to go 24 seven for the next 30 years of your life. Mm -hmm. And whether it's our company or any company for somebody to be a CEO of a large multi-dynamic company, that's kind of what it looks like. And that's the conversation that you had with both of your children? Both of my children. John and? Olivia. Okay. 
Yep. And, but we also had this conversation. If you want to be on the board and not be in management, then what can we do to help you learn how the company works? Mm -hmm. So for John Randall right now, whether he stays to become CEO or whether he just is going to be there five to seven years, you know, to learn about the company, to understand the company, to contribute to the company, to become a better board member, then we've done that to prepare him to become a better board member. Mm -hmm. And I think there's two kinds of board members coming out of families. Those that have a certain set of skill sets, have knowledge, worked in the company, they have some understanding of those dynamics. Mm -hmm. And then there's the second board member, which is, I'm on the board because I'm a family member and I'm going to uphold the values of the family. Now you all can talk about the finance and you can talk about that. And I know enough about money, mm -hmm. but these are non-negotiables as, as, as far as the family's concerned, mm -hmm. we're just not going to do that. And if you as a management team or a board can't accept those non-negotiables, then you don't need to be here. So I view family members to a degree, upholding the cultural values, the historical values, but also having skill sets. And so we talk about what kind of role maybe my children will be on the board. And then the fourth thing, the fourth thing that we uh, talked about uh, was maybe you just want to go to the Bahamas and run a bar on a beach. Well, how would you feel about so that? So if you want to do that, you have no say in the company. You have no say at the board level. You'll just get part of your dividend and it'll be sent to you. You'll have a good life. Be a positive contributor. Be a, be a contributor to society and give back. So, you know, what kind of channel do you want as an individual in your life? How would you feel if John and Olivia said, they both told you, yeah, you know, I love Tyson Foods and I love you, Dad, but I am just going to go hang out at the beach for the rest of my life which is okay. What they have to accept is they have no say in Tyson foods. And the only thing they're going to get is, is the trustees will send them part of a dividend check. How would you feel? I just want my children to be happy because I've been in it. Mm -hmm. Our company's set to operate as a big kind of big company. And we just happen to have a large holding called Tyson foods. Mm -hmm. I've been preparing myself to set these options up for the greater good of my children, the greater good of the company, and the greater good of both the board and the management team. And so do you offer coaching to John now that he's on the executive team? He's got mentors on the board, and he's got mentors in the leadership team. So so tell me again. And Olivia you... does too. Yeah, so what is Olivia doing? Olivia's overrunning the family foundation. I see, okay. And is have they then started to think about how they develop their own authentic leadership style as well? There, it's developing and 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 being being shaped now because John Randall has an active role in the company and and sets on the ELT. Olivia over here running all the other family stuff, and Olivia didn't finish college, but she actually ran a retail clothing store for about three years. Oh, really? So she had to hire, fire, show up, truck, somebody did. So she got a sense of how a business operated probably a little bit quicker than John Randall because she was a decision maker every day on those issues. Do you remember, John, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, and my dad had a little shoe store. So I remember as a kid, I used to go in there and be a stock boy and then finally, you know, sell shoes and learn how to run the business. 
And I agree, that's a really good practice. Because you see the components, how they fit together. Nowadays in these big companies, we take some smart person, we put them over here for five months, over here for a year, and the first time they try to put the company together is when they're CEO and they're going, bam, okay. <laughs> so, you know, so, so uh, there's pluses and minuses to both of their skill sets and how they come together. You know, Olivia, Olivia's not afraid to make a decision because she learned how she had to. Whereas John Randall, because of his background, being in analysis, being at J.P. Morgan, and plus both of his degrees. He's a Stanford uh, and Harvard grad too, right? Harvard undergrad, Stanford MBA. He gets what I call uh, the reflective Q&A deal. He's learning how to accelerate his decision-making now. Mm -hmm. And that's not easy, is it? No, it, it's a habit. You have to learn how to make decisions every day because it's easy to say, well, let me get one more piece of information. Yeah. And you just got to learn to make them. And as I tell people and I say to a lot of young people, you know, as long as you got a good thought process and you know that, and as long as you got a set of information, make a decision. And when you make it, if it's going well, go faster. Right then there, if you have I made it, look, it's going, let's go faster, leave it. If you make the decision, you look at it and it's not going well, stop right in there, stop that decision and go make another decision. And if you're making a series of decisions every day, you really can't make a big mistake. Hmm. Decision-making is different. Hmm. You're taking data that leads you to a decision. Mm -hmm. But the tendency is to go get more information so you can create another option to get more information to create another option and you're not making any decisions. Mm. So that can cause paralysis and that's what you try to get them over the yeah. So, So I come back to, you, you're smart people, you got a good thought process, you get to a point, just make a decision. Don't worry about whether it's the best this or that, just say this is what I think the decision should be. Will your board be Or you implement the decision and you're watching it. Because what happens a lot of time when people make the decision, they go, oh, wow, man, it worked. I don't have to make another decision. No, if it's working, how do you go faster and leave your competition behind? So when they try to catch up with you, they, you didn't sit on your laurels and somebody bypasses you. So that's so interesting because in other words, they make a decision, it goes right, they wipe their brow. I'm, I'm good with the board now, but the, in reality, they have to continue to make the decision of, do I continue investing in that business? Yeah. And keep growing it, keep going faster, grow it out and where you become number one or number two and, 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 and you do that. And then the other one, if it's not working, just say, Hey, we tried it. Here's what we did. This is what we learned. It's not working. We're shutting it down and we're going to move on to the next decision. You mentioned earlier that, you know, the values was important. What, 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 why are values so important at Tyson? And, um, you know, how, what do you, how do you tell if someone has those values before you actually bring them into the organization? So I think values are important to any values in a marriage are important. What are the values of your marriage? If you and your wife don't have the same values, it ain't going to work. Yeah. So, same in a business business, teams. So values are kind of a cornerstone of people working together. We value the same, the same efforts. We value the same uh, cultural concepts. Uh, we value uh, the respect for, you know, everybody in the organization. So values 
have to be in all structures, marriages, families, business, sports teams, government. And if you don't have values, then, then I'm not sure what you have. But you mentioned that somebody on the board, you know, a family member, really put the hammer down if something veered off the values. Like, what does that mean? Well, what I mean there is, is they're, they're able to carry the historical cultures and values of the family to people who are growing up and coming through the company. It's, no, this is what my granddad and my dad and the management team that came before us believe are the right values for our company. Gotcha. What, what, what do you think is going to be the hardest thing about running a business in the next five years? The hardest thing is going to be, you're going to have to learn how to put combinations together on a daily basis. You're going to have to continuously virtually organize your leadership team continuously. Plug and play, plug and play. This one comes in. It doesn't mean they're leaving the organization. Mm -hmm. It's instead of a kind of a command and control, how do you, how do you take uh, the talents you got around and you bring it together and then, then they, they go back and do something, you bring them together. So hierarchy is probably, it's not gonna be the traditional flattening because you don't want layers. It's gonna be a flattening and how do, you, how do you keep it circular? And then coming out of the circle, you actually move forward. Mm -hmm. A lot of organizations get going circular and, and next thing you know, five years later, they're still in the circle. So yeah. I think that's gonna be a change because that's what the younger generation wants. Mm -hmm. They wanna come into the circle they don't necessarily want to stay in the circle for a long time, but they want to come in They want to step off. They want to come in and step off. So how do you help people, you know, get on the merry-go-round, get off the merry-go-round, get on the merry-go-round and they develop their contribution to the company. And, and I think in leaders, we're going to have to understand that some people just don't want to be in the senior leadership role. They just, they want to get, they want to get right under senior leadership and they want to go set there. Mm. Okay. It's going to be okay to set there as long as you perform and challenge yourself every day. But if you want to set there and be retired in place, we can't accept that. So you have to have that conversation. Let me ask, let me ask the question in this way. I've sort of asked it already, but I think this is a great thing. Um, so, so Tyson foods has been in business a long time you know, multiple generations now, many years, over 100,000 people. As you know, most the average life of most companies these days is less than 20 years. How have you guys been able to do it? And has business gotten harder or easier from your perspective? I, I, I think how we've been able to do it is we stayed committed to what we do and we continued to grow and expand our business. So, you know, at one time the decision was, do we just stay a nice, kind of regional poultry company in the US. A family option, a business option as leaders. And we said, no, let's go buy some other poultry companies. So we became bigger. And then we went and bought IBP that added all three proteins. So that conscious decision of being careful with your money, growing your business to give you the opportunity to as much as you can in our business, kind of control our destiny because food by nature gives you, makes you insular a little bit because food's complex. Not, not a lot of people want to be in it, you know? Uh, so, so 
building kind of different little moats. That's why we call it a three-legged stool. Mm-hmm. You know, we got, you know, Jimmy Dean and Hillshire, really nice packaged goods. Then we got beef, pork, and chicken. And so by having that three-legged stool, we're not going to get all the highs, but we're not going to get all the lows. And so, and then accepting the fact that in our business, there's only so much money to be made. There's some high margin products, some middle margin products, and there are some that you maybe make one or 2% on, runs your plants, takes care of your customers. And yeah, with the people, the stock people and the people who well, want you to get rid of all that 2% stuff and just be a high margin business. Well, there's not that many high margin business that exist. You look at the Kraft Heinz problem today. Their margins have gone from 18 down to 15 to 12. So how do you have, for us, a set of goods that allows you to take care of the whole supply chain? So then your your clients and your consumers need you to come to the table to talk with them. You can say, yeah, I can make you a boneless, skinless chicken breast. And so if I do that, will you give me some chicken nugget business? Or I can cut you some ribs. Uh, will you give me some... Uh, you know, Jimmy Dean breakfast bowls. So you're saying, hey, wherever somebody wants to eat, can we have a dialogue about our whole portfolio of products, knowing that you're going to maybe average, you know, high single digits. So has this business gotten a lot harder since your granddaddy started it or about the same? Um, some of the fundamentals are the same. Trying to help people understand that that there's really four words for food. I use these four words today. Food has to be quality, has to be safe, has to be sustainable. But sustainable has now become a hub. Mm. And out of sustainable, there's a lot of spokes that come out of it. And each one of those spokes have a cost component. When sustainable started for me, it was save a tree, kind of, or save a corrugated box. So you take safe quality through sustainability, you have to be very careful putting through that sustainability hub. If you don't watch out, it won't equal affordable. Mm. Food still has to equal affordable. Mm. So the consumer wants the attribute of sustainable, but are they really willing to pay for it? Mm. So, so are they, and is it more complex now? Well, it's, it's more complex in trying to discipline yourself to say 95% of the population wants affordable food and not get excited about the 5%. So if you take on that responsibility to say, hey, yeah, we can go do these and maybe we'll spend a little time, but in the end, what's the original mission and value of our company is, you know, to take care of our communities, mm-hmm to give the folks that work for us a chance to come to work so the next generation of them might be able to go to college. We have safe food, quality food, with a certain set of sustainable attributes that still says affordable. Because when a housewife goes to a store, she says, I've got $20 for protein. She doesn't say I'm gonna buy 20 pounds of protein and this week it might be $5 or next week it might be $30. It's I got $20 in my budget. So you got to have a set of products so they can maximize that $20 to feed the family of four. So that's the complexity of, of getting out of what I call the McKinsey four box mindset. Got it. 
John, you're looking, and I'll, I'll wrap this up. You're, you're looking healthy and fit and happy. What, what's next on your radar? How long are you sticking around Tyson? Well, see, I've turned 66, and, and my mindset to everybody on the board is is for me not to be at the company. I try to, if I'm in town, I go in about 9 o'clock in the morning, and then I leave around 11. Hmm. I'm trying to separate myself consciously out of, making sure I have the right set of board people around me that can help run the company, making sure we understand the dynamics in preparing the children. Mm -hmm. So if something was to happen to me, the board, the family, and the shareholders out there know the family has thought about this, and here's what happens. He dies, boom, 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 just keep. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we hope you enjoyed today's conversation. If you'd like to attend and join deep dive discussions, please visit www.imperfectleaders.com. Until then, we'll see you next week.